Welcome back for another episode of It's a Social Thing hosted by me, Venus Ranieri. Today on the podcast, we're going to be discussing the business of social media with one of my old bosses, Laurie Donnelly, Creative Director, Direct Development PR. We'll have a link to Direct Development PR's website and social channels in the episode description, as well as anywhere to find Lori in case you want to have any follow-up questions or follow her on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for being here with me, Lori. I'm so excited to have you. I feel like this is a full circle moment. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So as I said before, guys, Laurie was actually one of my first bosses outside out of college, and it was a great experience. So if anybody's on the East Coast looking for a internship or anything like that, definitely check them out. So Laurie, how would you, outside of your professional title, how would you like to introduce yourself? Um, well, uh, yeah, my name's Lori, and my background is in graphic design, and I am an artist. I'm a co-producer of a nerd culture podcast called Nerdcaster. Uh, I'm also an avid runner and um, amateur photographer. So that's a really long way to introduce myself. Um <laughs> 30 second elevator pitch. I don't know. (laughs) It's perfect. It's perfect. I would hire you. (laughs) I really love to ask each guest to share three fun facts about yourself so that the audience gets to know you a little bit better. Well, a fun fact, actually a lesser known fact about me is I was actually born in um, Oklahoma, which people seem to find really strange just being from the East Coast. They're like, you're a total Jersey girl, like born and raised. I'm like, I actually wasn't born here. I was born in Oklahoma. And they're just like, what? That's like another planet. Um, so I always uh, I like to surprise people when I tell them that. Nice. Um, uh, another fun fact is, uh, like I mentioned before, I, um, I'm an avid lover of video games. I love anything nerd culture. I love movies. I, um, video games have been a really big part of my life. Um, role-playing games, everything like that. So the nerdier, the better. I love it all. <laughs> Nice. What uh, what game are you playing now? Um, right now, I'm playing Overwatch, um, oh. which is yeah, it's a um, a first person team based kind of shooter game that's like styled in the way of Pixar. So I thought that was kind of delightful because that's usually not my type of game, but it's really well designed and it's um, really I, I love it. It's super fun to play with my husband and my friends. Uh, one last fact. Um, hmm. Oh, you know what? I have two cats, and their names are pretty interesting. And um, I have their brother and sister. They're both about eight years old right now. Um, one's 25 pounds, and the other one's um, 19 pounds. So they're pretty big. They're bigger than, like, a small dog. Yeah. Um, and the first cat, her name is Crybaby Walker. And my second cat, who, the 25-pounder big black cat, is um, Adam West. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, whenever I bring him to the vet, um, or my husband brings him to the vet, we actually we we wait in the waiting room, and we're just like waiting for the person to come out and just call their names because they never want to. They never want to call out their names, but we're like we're like we're waiting for them to call it. We're like, come on, we know we're next. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, that's amazing. That's like the the small joy of going to the vet because you know they yeah. hate it, but you're like, yeah, yeah. they. <laughs> yeah, they absolutely can't stand it. Of course, they wouldn't be cats if they liked it. You know. Perfect. All right. So as we discussed earlier, we're going to be talking about the business of social media. So kind of going back a step in your journey, your personal journey with social. So how did you get started in working in social? Because as you said, your 
background is in design. So obviously not everyone might be able to make the direct correlation between design and social. So if you can just give us a little overview on that. Sure. So actually the first time I was really introduced to social media beyond having, you know, a Facebook page in college was uh, my first or second internship, which was at Fresh Planet Um, Games. I don't know if they're still named the same anymore, but I interned for them as a production artist um, and they created games for social media, much like, um, like Farmville. Oh gosh. (laughs) Oh, I know. So this was, this was back in 2000 and uh, 2010, this is 2010. Um, and their big thing was creating, um, just like the next big farm build. um, not a farming game, but like they wanted the next game experience that they could monetize on. So what I learned from that internship was, um, just really what, in, what strategies went into monetizing a social media game and how a free game could Possibly, they expect that the average user of these games to spend one hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars, just like on like the lifetime of their use, and they know they don't have them forever. They think, okay, if we get them from like six months to eighteen months, like we know they're going to spend money. If they're in and out in four weeks, we're, they'll probably won't spend any money. So it was interesting to be part of those conversations. Um, not that I say part; I was just listening because. I was, <laughs> um, so just hearing about that, it kind of turned me off from the whole thing, to be honest with you, just because I was a console gamer. And so I'm like, I, you know, a lot of people think 50 or $60, but then you hear them talk and they're like, no, they can get people to just spend with no problem, like an insane amount of money so that they could keep playing and feed this addiction to, um, you know, just being able to do more and more and more and share more with their friends and everything like that. And then it was, uh, it was definitely um, eye-opening on like just even then, like what social media. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I forgot the astronomical number that Farmville made in their quarter one. They're in the seven figures in terms of one quarter of people that are actively using the game. So add revenue for quarter one for them and like I forget what year this is, uh, was $9.9 million. Yeah. Obviously, they're like the leader. They probably started that craze, which is crazy to think of because obviously, like, for the most part, I think a lot of the people listening to this will remember the Farmville and like the Facebook game craze when it was first starting, when there was like a, you know, it was free to play. But if you wanted your squash or you wanted three cows or if you wanted anything <laughs> extra, it was like, pay us 10 to $150. And so I think it kind of showed that people are vulnerable on that site, like on any social media account or site that they're playing anything on, just because it kind of brings you into this world that just like gaming, like I think it's part of that community and they're, they're looking for that. And they're kind of, I don't want to say exploiting people, but kind of exploiting people in the terms of, of grabbing and then keeping interests just to, to, uh, with ex- expectations that they're going to spend money and making it almost not enjoyable if you don't. Because they're doing that now with Instagram. If you've gotten those like ads for the chapters games, like the books... Where you can like, yeah, they're everywhere. And I was like, let me just see what this is about. So I clicked on one and I think I spent like over a hundred dollars in one day and I'm embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs) I know exactly what you're talking about. So it wasn't exactly stories, but I did the same thing. Um, 
was uh, it was it was just like a game and it was um almost like a comic book and they did the same thing you got to pick what happened next and then like you could also just die if you if you chose <laughs> the wrong thing and yeah i'm pretty i i must have spent i think almost the same amount of money and yeah. in the, not in the single day over the course of maybe maybe seven i don't know it was probably a week and yeah it happens because it grips you it is like they create these it's ingenious because they create these experiences that usually i want to know what happens next and so and you just think like i get a free story i get entertained for free but it's like because you could technically do it for free as long as you're willing to wait and with our culture now it's like our attention span is so low and our you know need for instant gratification is so high like that's that's where they're going to make the revenue that's where they're going to make the money yeah it's it's crazy to me and then i was like why haven't i thought about this why didn't i do this like we we grew up like with this with social media like there were so many opportunities for people to kind of jump on and like build things and like i was like as someone in social i should have saw that com- like see that coming and then could have built something and then maybe i would be a millionaire right now who knows I just, I just think it's so. You could still be a millionaire. This is true. Yes, you could still do it. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe this podcast will make me a millionaire. Yes, probably not, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, no, I think that that's such an interesting way to get at your start in social, just because it's not traditional, uh, especially from a design standpoint. I think nowadays most people's breakthrough into design for social is coming more from like blogs or brands that like fashion brands that are looking for like cheap help on online. So the fact that you got to like be part of such important discussions that really kind of shaped the way that social has played out over the years. is so, it's so interesting. Um, but yeah, so obviously that's kind of the start of social, but like, have you seen the role, like your role, especially in design and social change during your career? Um. Yes, it's definitely um, changed. I, I really did a 180, I think, in my attitude towards social media because when I left that internship, I was fired, by the way. Not, you know, something. I'm, maybe that's my third fun fact. My third fun fact. I was fired from an internship, which is, you know, seems pretty Not hard. Fun. But I did it. I, was, I managed to do it. Um, but I had like a great like disdain and like just towards social media in general, just because I thought of it just like exploiting people and it wasn't great and, and just kind of gimmicky. So um, I really tried to stay away from it when I was looking for my, and I had graduated from college um, at this point. So I was looking for my next, you know, my next career or my next job. And I ended up working for direct development, which at the time was called, um, well, it's still called direct development. It was just, um, they had a line of newspapers that I ended up working on. It was, um, layout and editorial design, which is much more my speed. So I was, you know, perfectly comfortable with that. We weren't doing social media at all. And I was perfectly content to keep it that way. I was, you know, I was just not about it. And then gradually we, um, we also printed t-shirts and did lawn signs and did, um, pretty much any type of printing service that you can imagine. And I was pretty much the only designer that we had aside from somebody else that we had, uh, for a couple months and then he ended up um, getting let go. But we um, started to transition into more of a service-based firm. And with that, a lot of people just came in and they said, well, can you help us run our social media? And at first we were like, no, that's not what we do. We were just not in that you know, part of that. We do traditional graphic design. We do traditional marketing. We do you know, website design, things like that. But the demand just kept, we got, we got asked every, by every client that we ever pitched to, we got asked if we could help them social. And so we just started to say yes, because, um, you know, after I fought it for so long, I'm like, I can't, I can't 
go against the demand when it's this strong. You just can't do it. And when I say every client asked for it, every single one did. Everyone did because they didn't know what to do. And this was, I think, at this point when we started to actually do it, it was like 2012, 2013, um, when more and more businesses were coming on social media and they were, you know, kind of testing it out, still treating it like their own personal page, which, you know what, like looking back on it now, it's kind of like, it should be more personal now. Like if I had to, to say like, it's, um, you know, we started to tell them like, okay, no, don't treat it like your personal page. It needs to be like, you know, uh, the voice of your brand and this and that. And we're just, honestly, I was just making a lot of stuff up. I made a lot of stuff up as I went because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a hundred percent sure. And there weren't any thought leaders out at the time, at least that I knew of that, um, that really could speak to how to run their social media. Um, except for actually, um, one of the old, um, owners of direct development, his name is Cliff Moore. He was um, a, a kind of like a, a, a speaker on social media and then just personal branding. And he said a lot of things that made sense. He actually, I feel, um, kind of trailblazed uh, social media setup and, and management in like the Bayshore area, kind of where we were situated. He consulted with a lot of people um, to help them with their social media game. But and everything he was saying was completely true. It just at the time, um, while people were still seeking help, it was, I don't know, it didn't, it didn't stick as much as um, I think it would have if he had started that, I think, three or four years later. Yeah. Um, I think sorry. it's just, oh no, you're good. Don't worry. I think it's just so interesting because of the fact that a lot of the time people in social, like now, if you, if you think back, like, it was true. Like a lot of people would be like, Hey, let's keep it professional on your pages. Like you should go with your brand strategy and everything like that. <laughs> and now if we're looking at the social accounts that are, and brands that are super successful on social, they're all taking a much more personal approach. Like their brands are people to people like Wendy's and all those, like, I mean, Wendy's basically just started that revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I think, and I use it currently with my job where we're taking it more from a branding standpoint and I'm moving it more towards a person that's doing the social and is being the voice of the company on there. That way they can kind of, I mean, the voice is a robot, but like still, uh, you know, trying to make it more human or humanoid just because people, and I think it's true, like across the board, people typically don't want to buy things from strangers. They want to buy things from people they like. And so how can we be that person that they like? And that's like kind of a great way to go about social for business is how can you be someone's friend? And, and not an intrusion on their newsfeed, like so many ads are currently. Right. And I think, um, again, back into when, you know, we first started doing it, um, you know, as a service and, and professionally, when we were advising people to, to be professional, it, you know, was something that completely worked at the time because a lot of people didn't, you know, they didn't know how to run their pages and like, oh, it is like... Um, you know, watching a commercial or, you know, reading something that's just well done. People say like, oh, I can trust this. And now everybody does that. So now it's like, okay, well, you all sound the same. You all look the same. How do, how can I connect with you? And it's that level of personalization. Yeah. Um, I think the the wave and the curve that kind of has gone through with a social, I just think is hilarious personally, just because, and you said it before, like no one really knows what we're doing. Like, I think that's like super important (laughs) to be honest and transparent about like, just because a strategy works for one client does not mean in any sort of way that it'll ever work for this, like another client. And 
getting businesses to understand, especially clients like that, when you take on a client and you're like, Hey, we're going to try this. Trying and experimenting is one of the scariest things to companies. Um, in my opinion, but like, you know, taking risk on social and seeing what works. It's not just a, Hey, we'll take over your social. And in two months you're going to be boosting and you'll have all these things and so many link clicks and all these followers. And obviously it doesn't work. Like even if you take the same strategy as the best brands that are out there and implement them in the same categories, sometimes they just don't take off, which I think lends the power to people like us who kind of just craft that story because design plays such a huge role in social media. Now, back in the day, it was kind of like, you know, people were reading actual posts and you, you could see things like people's business updates would actually come through on your newsfeed. <laughs> Unlike now, yeah. even if you follow a brand, you're probably never going to see them unless they advertise to you. So that's why like, you know, making imagery and videos and other engaging types of video, uh, visual content that really stands out is, I almost feel like more important than copy sometimes. Like it kind of puts a lot more emphasis on having a strong design lead, which you are. So obviously all the brands that are currently with direct development are super lucky. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I do want to dig into the fact that, you know, the accounts that direct development takes on are obviously wide and varied. But if you could tell people a little bit more about the business, kind of like an elevator pitch uh, for any potential clients that are out there and kind of dive (laughs) into the categories or verticals, so to speak, of of the businesses that you take on. Yeah. So um, direct development is a creative and um, so full service creative agency. And our our strongest suit is definitely with design and um, and marketing and social media. We, you know, offer as a kind of as part of a package of, you know, integrated marketing. So we'll say, you know, we think you need, you know, four or five different things to help boost your brand depending on your objective. And social media is always part of that, um, always part of the strategy because, you know, your marketing is a sum of all your parts, not just a single, you know, upping your social media might not necessarily get you more sales. You have to, you know, kind of up your game in every um, every department um, and social media, you know, while you know, incredibly, incredibly important. It's not always, it doesn't, it's not a hundred percent of where you should be focusing on. Um, but you know, we have a, um, full, we have two full-time graphic designers. Uh, one actually just was recently promoted to associate art director. So, um, you know, we're, you know, moving up in the world and, um, you know, we finally, after I think a few years of growing, we have a full service communications team as well. So we are able to kind of offer um, everything kind of in-house, um, except for, you know, video production and photography. We, um, we, we have a couple of um, freelancers that we work with on a regular basis that we trust and really enjoy working with them and they do such great work. Um, so, you know, we have a, I think it's important to have a, a pretty good network of um, these types of people because they help your content creation. We need those photographers and the videographers to help create, uh, help us create the content um, yeah. for our clients. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I, uh, in my prior position to the one that I'm in now, I was the digital content creator for a agency. And so having, I was the only person that worked on like across four or five different brands and creating their entire visual content for social media specifically. Like we, it, none of it went anywhere else other than social. So knowing how to play with that kind of stuff and like definitely having good photographers, good videographers, good vi- uh, video editors on hand, even if they're not full-time staff is so important for businesses. Just like in terms of turnaround time, I, I think a lot of companies 
don't understand how much effort and time goes into creating something that's good for social, good enough. Uh, like obviously anyone can go and take a picture, but is that picture going to be, is it going to get the same amount of engagement as like someone that is professionally trained in this and, and knows how and exactly why certain things are set up a certain way, how to do, I, I worked with food a lot. Um, and so I had to take some classes. I taught myself how to do food styling, which is one nice. is sham. It's a complete and total sham. <laughs> <laughs> I never trust a single one of those food commercials I see ever again because everything is fake or inedible at that point. Uh, but it taught me so much about how, how to create an image that appeases your audience visually and makes them want it because that's the goal of social. A lot of people sure. try to say that it's to drive sales and a lot of clients will come through to me from freelancing stuff and say, Hey, I need to push this amount of products through and I need this amount of sales. And I say, I always say, I cannot guarantee you sales. That's not the job of social. Social, in my opinion, is to increase awareness of your brand, to build a relationship with your customers or potential consumers, and to kind of just tell your story in the most personal and intimate way with millions of strangers. <laughs> but... Yeah. I mean, but it's, 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 it's very true. Um, we've, you know, come across a couple of clients who, you know, they want to make, they want to turn their social media engagement into like, well, I want more people to make appointments for my business, or I want more people, you know, to take this action, you know, whatever it is. Um, and just like we, that's not always, you know, social might not be your best platform to do that, you know, unless you're doing direct product sales, in which case I think social can work extremely well, but none of, I would say none of our clients are doing any type of, they're not selling products. Everything is we're B2B. And, um, most of the time it's like they're either they need to project an image. And so it's like, okay, well, you're not going to convert anything like, but you do need people to think of you in a certain way. And that's very important, but also incredibly hard to measure unless you're constantly pulling or surveying people. And then when you mentioned that, they're like, oh, well, we don't have the manpower to <laughs> survey people or to yeah. pull them on a regular basis or take a, a, you know, a strong enough, a large enough sample size to get you know, a survey that's really accurate. Um, and, you know, which leads me um, to another just point that I deal with all the time, just with our particular clients, because we work with a lot of townships, a lot of nonprofit organizations, a lot of, um, um, you know, uh, you know, some people that aren't even just businesses, but a lot of organizations. And um, a lot of what I recommend is that you have to be able to mobilize, you know, your current resources, like your current people to help you on social. So us taking over an entire social media page or presence, um, we're good. our best job is to advise you, to give you strategy, to say this is what you should be doing and to cre help you create content that looks, you know, that, that's beautiful, that's on brand, that's, you know, that's, you know, part of your voice. But you need people on the ground who are going to be there every day to actually create, you know, they're going to, they're the ones seeing what's going on in the organization. They're the ones, you know, going out and doing your good work. And that's what you want to show. We can't replace that. We can't, you know, as an agency, we cannot replace that part of it. And a lot of it, it's, you know, I get like a 50-50 reaction. Some people are like so forth. They're like, yes, absolutely. We want to help manage our own pages and you know you just coming on to help us do that and, and present our content much better that's perfect for us and then you have some people who it's like oh really like you can't just come here every single day and take these pictures and do this for us i'm like well we can but do you know how expensive that's going to be for you i would have to hire somebody completely just to come 
to, you know, your establishment every single day. And, you know, if you think that's a worthwhile use of your money, then, you know, who am I? Yes, please give me money. You know, give, <laughs> give me all the money. I will take all of it. But it's a much better use of your own, like the businesses or the organization's resources to hire a staffer, you know, yeah, less than what they would pay an agency to help them with all the boots on the ground stuff. Because again, you, that's just a necessity. And, you know, if you don't have that part of it, then your social media pages are just like an announcement board. And a lot of people after a little while, let's just start to ignore it. Yeah, no, I think that's a hundred percent true. And also it does vary depending on industry that you're in, but we, so I went from agency life where I was in consumer product goods. Uh, so it was all food. No, it wasn't like really about, I think like hot tamales was one of my clients. Um, so creating, oh, that's cool. yeah. So creating their content was super easy for in terms of creating like flat lays or gifts or memes or anything like that was simple one because it's a younger brand and so we were able to do those kind of fun younger millennial like things um but now i'm in a agent or a company in-house for social and i work remotely our company's based in silicon valley and i'm in colorado or New Jersey or anywhere else in the country at any given time. So getting actual photos or actual content from our events has been proved very difficult. Getting because a lot of photographers, we have event photographers for every event, but obviously they're going to take promotional photos. They're not taking photos aimed for social. And so right. there's a huge difference there. And a lot of people can't see that, um, which is why people should rely on professionals like you and me and trust in the process, uh, which isn't always the easiest thing for people that one budgets are tight, which is something that we're kind of seeing across the board. Um, from all of my past experience, I've always only ever had to deal with <laughs> clients that had tight budgets. And so, you know, the idea Same. you need to be scrappy. <laughs> I was like, but dude, don't you guys have money? Like, I don't know. Like, and now being in-house, I know exactly how much we have. Um, and like when we do need to be scrappy and when we have money to play with, which is a really nice change and one of the benefits of going in-house, in my opinion. But, you know, making sure that we're people that are coming to agencies or freelancers for social media assistance understand the toll that getting content for social specifically takes and like being open to those price points because obviously if you want to scamp or scrimp on the money part uh, when it when it turns in terms of creative then obviously your results aren't going to be there and then you people it kind of starts a vicious cycle where you know the client's not happy with the work that's happening because they're not getting the results that they wanted but because it's all because they couldn't pay afford to pay for the package that would get them the best creative and so it kind of just you know snaking yeah it is definitely yes definitely a vicious cycle and i think the only way to really resolve that and that's something that i certainly learned over the last several years is you have to like manage their expectations. And that means sometimes you're not going to get the client just because there's no way you're going to ever make them happy because their expectations of what they think an agency should be able to accomplish for them and at a certain price point, it just isn't realistic. And, you know, it's, um, you know, and that might be because they expect the agency to take care of like a hundred percent of everything, like all their social needs and they want to post 10 times a day and they want like full 100% always on coverage of everything that's going on. But then, you know, so when we say that the pricing just to be able to accomplish that from a social perspective is going to rival 
the salary of a full-time employee, they are just, they don't understand like, but, but we want full-time, but we want your full-time. We want, we want 40 hours a week, yeah. you know, social media coverage. But what do you mean it's going to cost $48,000 annually? What? what? Like, I'm like, and that's low. I'm like, that's yeah. reasonable. It's not, you know, so it, it, it really, it all comes down to managing expectations. So I try to do that very early in the conversation. I've definitely had a couple red flags, you know, in a couple meetings where I just know like within the first, I, I usually know within the first 15 minutes, if this is going to be viable or if we're going to make sense with this client. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> and that's one of the things that I, I really enjoyed about working at direct development was the fact that you guys knew the type of clients that we could work well with. And weren't afraid to be like, hey, <laughs> knowing when and as an agency, like knowing when and being able to decide like, hey, you know, this relationship isn't going to work out for the client long term because we're not set up to give them the results that they're you know, asking for. And obviously, like having a high needs demanding client can take and be a drain on a company, especially an agency when, you know, if they're not happy and you're spending way more time trying to make them happy than it is that you're working on their account. So that's just something that as a tip to all agencies or anyone that has an agency that's listening, I think should implement, uh, you know, it's good business sense to be honest. Transparency is like one of the main things that we hear in in business now. I feel like every day, every day on LinkedIn, I'm like transparency. Um, But like actually practicing that and like practicing some radical candor and being like, hey, to a client, hey, we cannot do this for the amount of money that you're asking. And, you know, it's just not a fit for us. A lot of, I feel like a lot of agencies, especially smaller ones, are afraid to say no to clients because obviously they need the money to keep themselves afloat and they have employees they need to pay. But at the end of the day, I think I would rather work if I was to ever go back to agency life uh, at an agency that took the interests and skill level of their employees into effect when they were making decisions about clients. So. I'm giving you applause. <laughs> oh, thank you. It took a long time to honestly. It took a very long time to get there. Um, we got burned quite a few times by a few difficult clients, and and you know to where um, feel relieved almost when you tell the client like, "Hey, this isn't you know we're not renewing a contract. No, we're not submitting. We just think we're not great for you guys." And then you know what? At that point, this has happened. This has happened to me three times um, where. I was ready to let a client go just because we weren't meeting expectations. It was such a drain on our team. And we just, I I had several employees come up to me and just say like, I would rather throw myself down a flight of stairs than have to like work on this account. Like, please, please, can we, can I go somewhere? I'll work on two other accounts instead of this one. You know, I'll go, you know, it doesn't, you know, and that's when, you know, just, you you really got to evaluate, um, you know, kind of like, what's the underlying problem? And it was just that nothing we did was ever satisfied. You know, the client was never satisfied with any of the work we did. So, you know, I, you know, arranged a meeting, called them up, said, hey, you know, I, I just, I don't think it's working out. And we're obviously not, you know, creating work to your expectations. And we, you know, we're pretty much ready to hand everything over. We'll help you find a new firm and, you know, and and pretty much stay on. So we're not leaving you in alerts because I won't do that. You know, despite the fact of however they act, you know, you can, you know, we try to be as professional as we possibly can, unless they're completely, you know, off the, you know, they're just <laughs> completely like crazy. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but we haven't had anybody who has been like that. So, you know, everybody, once we get to this point, 
they'll either pretty much say, you know what? Yes. Thank you. I think that this is just the best for everybody because the relationship was just so like tenuous and it just wasn't great. And then we've had people say like, oh, no, no, no. Everything was fine. What are you guys talking about? Like, we don't want to go anywhere else. And then I still let that client go. And then it happened again. And then they agreed to pay us. I think it was 150 so then that's well, great and that's how that's it, how you work <laughs> so like I was ready to just let it go just to say like you know what I just you know I don't have enough resources or whatever it was like their criticisms were crazy and not that they're crazy but just something that we just couldn't get behind we weren't we definitely weren't meshing but then after after they agreed to pay us more all the criticisms too just became a lot more constructive than they were previously. So that was, it was just a good, you know, it was a good way forward. So I'm really glad that happened. Um, but yeah, that only happened, that happened like 33% of the time, the other two times, just, you know, we just had to go. We had to go. Yeah. There was some I've, salvaging it. Yeah. I've, I've hit that wall as like the employee side, not on the side where I actually get to make a decision, but, uh, you know, where I was like, I would rather throw myself off a bridge than have to be on this call ever again, or deal with these people ever again. And so, you know, it it's hard, because obviously, not everybody's going to take that approach and be like, hey, like, you know, let's evaluate and let's look at this and see what we can do to make everybody happy. Because, you know, I think that that, especially in agency life, that can really affect the number of turnover that you have. Like if you're taking clients that are just you know, not the best stage five clingers in terms of like clients, uh, <laughs> then obviously your employees aren't going to be happy working on those, on those brands or on those or, like, you know, client organizations. So that's going to make your client, your employees want to leave. And so if you have good talent, which is what you guys do have, like it makes the best business decision to do what you're doing and make sure that your employees are happy and that your clients are happy. Uh, Cause to me, I think that's just, a win-win situation there. <laughs> yeah, I do too. And you know what? It just like they could very well find a different firm that totally just gets it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they were, you know, we're not the right agency for everybody, but the agency, you know, or, but the clients that we do work with now, I feel like we're, you know, we're a great fit. Um, we have a great relationship and I think that's what it's all about. They're very much behind the idea that we, you know, we're working with you on your social media plan and that you guys are doing your part. We're doing our part. We're, you know, we're kind of working like we're on, you know, that we work for the same company. We're just on different teams, which is the best way I think for, you know, to have a really solid social media strategy rather than we're just a vendor for them to kind of call and like, oh, hey, I'm only going to email them when I need something. Um, I think that that, you know, it's a little bit too reactive and generally you'll have a lot of social media, um, you know, a lot of silence on that end if we're only going to do things that they request. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, th- I think if I remember correctly, I forgot his name. I think Tom, uh, when I was working on the Keyport client uh, way back in the day, years ago, like the fact that they remember who I am to this day makes me so happy. And like, he always comments on all my posts. And I'm like, this is great. Like, I honestly feel like it was such a great eye opener into how to run a not I mean, run a business, but also how to manage those client relationships to the point like that. I'm still friendly enough with him that if he sees me in Keyport, he'll say hi. Like, yeah. And <laughs> that's what it's all about. And, you know, when you create the relationships, it just makes it, you know, they're, they're going to 
you know, give it to you straight. They're going to work with you on lots of stuff and you can have a candid conversation about the way something is going. And then you can more quickly just fix something or adapt it. And then it's like, Oh, this is going to be great. This is, yeah. this is awesome. And that all comes from just, yeah, building the relationship. So I, I think that's awesome. Yeah. It's, um, it's my favorite yeah. thing. <laughs> and then obviously I'm still, we still talk and I still like and comment and talk to Vin occasionally. So I think it's just like such a great environment. Um, that you guys have cultivated there, so to speak. Thank you. It took a, it took a great many years to do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, success doesn't happen overnight and that's uh, true with business as well as true with social. Like unless you're, it's very rare that people are going to get a viral hit on their hands um, in terms of social posts. Like that is one of the things that I always, when I was doing freelance, like we know ne- I never use the word viral because clients will always be like, I want a viral thing or like a viral video. And I'd be like, that doesn't exist. Uh, you can create good content and then put a correct strategy behind it for it to gain momentum. And then maybe it'll go viral. Uh, but it, there's never a guarantee that you're going to ever create anything that can go viral because the idea of something being viral means that there was no prediction behind it. Like it just picked up and went and I just, you know, wanted to call that out there. (laughs) Well, you know, just on the same thread as that, um, what sometimes amazes me and this will, we've, we've seen with a couple of new clients we onboarded, um, a couple of years ago, they wanted to really promote an event that they were throwing. And so we're okay. So we created, you know, pretty much all the content, all the stuff that we're going to push out for this event. And then also just separate emails for this person to just send out to just tell everybody to like the page, uh, say they're attending the event just within their own network so that they could just get the word out, um, you know, amongst themselves first. And they didn't even like their own page. Like they had no, they didn't understand like, well, no, if you just publish it, like everyone will just like it. I'm like, but yes, that's what we're hoping, but you need to help you. You also, you yourself have to also <laughs> like the page and the post and tell all your friends and family to do it. Well, why do I have to do that? Well, because it helps, you know, yeah. it helps get the momentum going so that, you know, you share it to 10 friends, they share it to 10 of their friends. Like, and it just kind of happens like a domino effect, not always, but that's kind of the, you know, it won't do it at all if you don't even, you know, like your own page. Yeah. So, um, and so it's just something that doesn't occur to people right away too. It's just like, you have to be your own biggest fan. You know, it seems like, you know, I know some people don't want to do that. They want to, you know, they want, they want to kind of stay humble or maybe they don't want to kind of advertise that out or they want to keep their personal page in the business life kind of separate that I, I completely understand that. But um, I think now it's, um, I think especially within the last year or two, it's the professional and the personal, that's all the same. It's the same. It's one identity. I think yeah. now more than that ever has been. So it's like share away, tell everybody, <laughs> what you, you know, tell everybody that you, you, you want to promote something. If you're not promoting it yourself, it's, it's hard um, for us to get, you know, the buy-in from other people. If the owner or like the main person behind it isn't also doing that. Yeah. I think that's great to call out. I, a lot of people are unaware of the fact that, you know, there's this thing that goes around, especially on Instagram, where it's a mentality of like kind of similar to the whole idea that nobody wants to be the person that's going to uh, call 911 if they see someone struggling because they always think somebody else will just do it. And so that that idea and philosophy really parallels to social very nicely in terms of posts, especially on Instagram. So obviously like 
we both know Instagram is a pain in the ass sometimes with uh, Zuckerberg changing the algorithm every other day uh, and limiting when you see a brand or organization posts in your feed and everything like that. They're really, really focusing in on engagement. So obviously posts need engagement, lots of engagement, not just likes. They want comments. They want people sharing it in order for it to get enough momentum for people to see it in the feed outside of the people that one, most likely run the page because we're on the pages every single day. So we're automatically going to get shown those images first. Um, and like the owners and, and anyone else in, on the client side from their organization. <clears throat> Sorry. But... Uh, so what I like to do is I like to comment from my personal account on all of our posts. I try not to be the only person, but if there is no one has done it yet, I'll go and do it first. And obviously, if someone clicks on my profile, they're going to see that in my, in my bio. It clearly says that I'm the social media human for this organization. And so <laughs> they're going to be like, huh, weird. But I don't think anyone's ever actually done that because anytime that I post a comment on a post that hasn't gotten anything or any love really... Uh, within the first like 30 minutes of it being up, automatically we're going to get another comment at least. And so like that will push it in front of other people's feeds. And then, you know, another comment will come in and then people will be sharing it and DMing it to people. And uh, I think there's just like this weird notion where, especially even if you work on a brand, like you don't want to comment on things, but I, I urge people just to ignore that and throw it out because Facebook doesn't know if you work on that brand, <laughs> like they're, they're just going to boost it up. Yeah. And it's just like, it does feel a little bit awkward in doing it. And you're just wondering if people are going to call you out and say like, Hey, I know that you work, you know, your comment is everywhere and you must, you must be a manager of their brand or whatever it is. And you know, you kind of got to get past that. You got to look, overlook that and just said, you know what, even if someone says something, you know, just like, well, you know, it's like they saw it. Yeah. Be like, or be like, I love this brand. So of course I'm going to comment on it. Be like, yeah. I work on this brand. I believe in this brand. That's why I'm here. So obviously I'm also a big fan of the brand. Yeah. So, you know, that's like an easy way for social media managers or people that are running engagement for pages, like to get around that. Like, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, if someone's going to call you out about that, it doesn't matter because they saw it and they're, they're engaging. And guess what? Next time you post a picture, they're going to get served it, whether they comment or not. So, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like this evolutionary cycle with like, as I said before, the snake eating its own own tail kind of thing, where it's just going to keep going in a circle. And if you don't bring new people in there, you're not going to reach new people. So getting creative, going to the, doing the groundwork. Uh, I will often like retweet brand tweets onto my own personal Twitter because I know that my friends have never, one, never heard of my company. So I'm trying to educate people. And then, you know, just using your own voice to amplify that brand. Obviously, it's not something that's a requirement for people. Um, and I, I, more than anyone, understand, you know, social media managers not wanting to use social outside of the 9 to 5 <laughs> because I'm on it every single day from like 7.30 in the morning until like 9 p.m. And so... The, those like uh, numbers that they give out now on how much you use social media make me really sad. <laughs> and I'm like, dang it. Because I, I think, uh, I mean, in the bio for this podcast, it kind of goes into the average amount of time that a person spends on social media. And I, it's on average is like two hours uh, every day of their life they spend on social, which, you know, sounds like not a lot. But when you add it up, I think at my age, I'd be at almost like 3000 hours. Oh my God. That yeah. is insane. Yeah. And that's but just see, like, but that's, this is, we love people, you know, yeah. like that because we're like, yes, more eyes on all of our stuff, please. Yeah. On social all the time. 
Yeah, for sure. And I, I love that businesses are finally starting to see that social media is worth it. Like, obviously you guys got requests from it coming through and, and as it being like a mandatory thing that they're looking for, which is great. But I feel like a lot of companies are still just now hitting that curve where they're like, oh, we need this. Like it's no longer an option if you want this or not. And and so that's kind of an interesting place to be for business uh, just because I've personally run into multiple situations where people ask why they even need a social media presence. And at this point, like a lot of companies are late to the game as it is and building up an established brand and oversaturated market is just another complexity to add to a social media strategy. Um, but you know, when you look at your favorite brands on social, like what, what's the one thing that you see that they're doing that's working for them? Um, I think this goes back to what we had mentioned before, and that's their ability to get personal uh, with their audience because they have a very good idea of who their audience is and how to appeal to them. So one of the one of the best, I think, the brands doing it the best right now is um, Patagonia, which is a, a sportswear um, sportswear brand that's very much into advocacy for like the environment. Um, and, you know, a sustainability conservation and they, uh, they know that everybody who, you know, pretty much follows them on social media have this very, the same, if not, you know, just very similar values and they know how to speak to, they know how to speak to us, you know, they know how to, um, you know, when they want you to sign a petition or they want you to just become more aware of a certain thing, you know, they, sometimes you can't tell if they're trying to sell you something as, you know, their products or they're trying to just sell like, you know, a set of values, which is, I think is important for everybody who buys from them and that's why people buy from them. Yeah. Um, So I think that they're doing it absolutely, you know, they're killing it. Yeah. I I love Patagonia and their social presence is so different than obviously like a, a funnier brand. Like they're more aligned with like a Ben and Jerry's brand, which is also very uh, human focused and, and issues focused. And they're not afraid to take a stance on something. And that's something that I think businesses can also take into their social strategy and like really think about like right now, like with where we are in terms of the world and with generations, like Generation Z is so interested and so driven by companies' missions. Like that is their defining purchase, uh, defining decision before they make a purchase. Like what are the brand's values? Where are they situated in terms of human rights? In terms of are they LGBTQ uh, plus friendly? Like what, what are they doing to make the world better outside of selling me this product? And Patagonia is killing it right now, especially with their uh, campaign where they're like, I think they just released it today. Like they're going to be looking at every single company that tries to mass order from them. And if you don't meet their, uh, you know, ecological standards, they will not let you uh, order in. (laughs) I haven't heard that, but that's, you know, that's very, that's very them. And, you know, that's, I think that again, like you said, I think it's great when companies are able, you know, they feel confident to take a stand and really just stick by it. Yeah. And the sticking by apart is like the most important thing, I think, for businesses, especially on social. Like if you're going to say that you are pro, uh, just because Pride Month just happened, uh, pro LGBTQIA+, uh, then you need to be that all year round. It can't just be during one month of the year and then you, you change your logo to a rainbow logo and then, you know, you don't do anything else for the other, you know, months of the year. Yeah. Um, another brand that I think that's really doing a great job speaking of LGBTQ is um, Garden State Equality. 
you follow them on Instagram. They are their their social media game is amazing. Um, just and you know my background's in design, so I love anything that's um, you know just graphics related. And they combine a mix of like photography, really well done uh, graphic design, and everything just looks amazing. Their messaging comes across like so clear. It's just I love it. I think they do. They as far as nonprofits are concerned, like they are they're just doing an amazing job. Yeah, which is something great to hear because obviously nonprofits don't aren't always known for their killer social strategies. Um, I think that's changing moving forward just because of how important social play what an important role social media plays in our decisions and our values and and kind of the influence that it has over people. And that's only increasing, I think. I don't think there's going to be a point where social media is in a place where people share their political agendas or their political thoughts. Um, and there's obviously a lot of negatives out there, but there's a lot of positives too. And so highlighting those accounts and making sure that you know there's a little brightness to everyone's day on social is something to look forward to. Yeah, sure. Cool. And then... Um, we're coming to the end of our hour here, which is crazy. The hour goes so fast. Uh, <laughs> but so if we are looking at uh, designing for social specifically, like what kind of things do you keep in mind and how do you build out an online visual identity for brands and orgs? You don't have to get super detailed, but feel free to get as detailed as you would like. <laughs> um, well, first of all, I think uh, cut down the copy. So if you're designing a flyer or we'll, we'll call it a flyer, quote unquote flyer, for uh, Facebook or Instagram or any of these uh, social networks, nobody's going to read a ton of copy on a flyer. They won't read it on a regular poster and they're not going to read it on... They're just going to scroll right past it. So um, Facebook for a long time, if you wanted to boost a post or create an ad, like you couldn't have the image comprise more than 20% of like the total area. Um, could be text. Everything else has to be. And I think that was a great role. It really disciplined a lot of our clients. So we would tell, we would design something and some of our clients would be like, well, can you add um, this line? Can you add two bullet points? And then this subheadline? And we're like, well, like Facebook won't actually let us do that. And we're like, yes, thank you. Because um, like Facebook gets it. And it's really hard sometimes to explain to a client that like, that less is more. It's, um, you know, and I think that that's a, a principle um, you know, uh, just just a principle of good design is to really pay attention to how much you're actually putting into, like what is really necessary, what is not necessary, um, and really a kind of giving your audience a little bit of a benefit of the doubt that you don't need to spell everything out for them like a hundred percent. That they they will they get visual cues, they understand, um, you know, that a poster could feel friendly without you saying we're friendly, you know, and actually just like putting it, slapping it right across, you know, the, the visual. Yeah. Um, and then also too, like, so we, you know, we talk a lot about, um, taking a brand and, and seeing like, you know, how can we design, you know, graphics for them for social media? And it's a lot of, um, extrapolation of like kind of what they're currently doing. So we could have, you know, a, a brand's logo that's two colors. It's, you know, reflex blue and it's just red. So it's like, okay, well, everything can't be blue and red because that's going to look ridiculous. So we have to, you know, we, we try to really dig deep and look at other things that are part of the brand's personality and just really draw on those, except, you know, so not everything, it doesn't have to be the same colors for it to be on brand. Yeah. Um, 
And then again, um, just even in choosing photography for them, if we're not, I always advocate for take the photography, you know, take the um, photography of things that are happening that are close to you. And please don't use stock if you can avoid it. If you can avoid stock, like you're in a great position, but sometimes, you know, some of our, some of our clients, they can't help it because they're just, there's nothing to take a picture of, or, you know, maybe they're in the middle of building something great and they can't share whatever it is yet, building plans, et cetera, which make for really interesting and cool photos. I think people love architecture. They love like really architecturally appealing photos. Um, So yeah, avoid stock if you can, but if you can't, um, you know, really spend some extra time curating some of these photos. Like don't pick the first 10 that you see that come up for your search results, you know, cause they're going to be everywhere. Everybody's already, everyone's searching for the same things you are. So you're going to see that same billboard, um, the same image on this billboard, on this ad, on this like, Oh, I have really good taste. It's like, yeah, you could, that, you know what, that's, really, that's silver lining it all the way. I really appreciate your optimism, but yeah. <laughs> that's great. Um, so it's, it's, you know, the, those are definitely some things that we definitely uh, keep in mind when we're, you know, designing anything for a client is, um, again, digging a little deeper, you know, into how to visually represent their brand and, you know, trying not to um, be completely cliche all the time. I think it's good to be cliche sometimes, but not, you know, not all the time. I think people, you know, again, people get very tired of looking at the same things all the time. So you got to mix it up. Yeah, I think I think that's so true. And obviously, like the most visually appealing platform currently is Instagram. Just like in terms of images, it's the one thing that images is still just plain image with like text, and there it's supposed to be visually and aesthetically pleasing, and colors and everything like that is so important. Like I, because I'll use hot tamales as a example again, but obviously hot tamales are red and their box is white, and so uh, we had to like be like, well, what other colors are we going to use? So we pulled like the yellow from the flame and the orange from the flame. We have white, we have black, we have red. So we had we went from two colors basically to five, uh, which gives you a lot more room to play with creatively. And so just kind of trying to make sure that brands aren't afraid of color as well, because a lot of the times businesses tend to stick to the blue the blues like you know that's their corporate blue everyone loves the blue yeah but like at the end of the day like how am I going to recognize your blue for someone else's blue and so that's kind of the thing that you want to think about as a brand like where can you be different so like I think that there's color codes for each business uh right now like if you look in your phone on the app store you'll see it like how different like social media apps went from being blue like it's the same color blue to now they're like a lighter blue trying to be more open uh, and friendlier. And so obviously that's cool because they're changing and they're updating and like Instagram went from just being the, you know, blue camera to now they have the gradient. And so the gradient's like internationally recognizable. You see the gradient, you think immediately of Instagram. And so there's just a role there for, in terms of not even just social design, but also traditional design. Like your visual identity on social can really help with your visual identity everywhere else. So that way, like you can implement your, like, even if it starts on social and it was just like an experiment and it does really well, people can, should not be afraid to bring that into other parts of their business as well. Cause as you said, it's an ecosystem. You need to just using social media probably won't work for, for a lot of companies and, and brands. So they need to think about how can they implement that across their entire like strategy, not just in social. Yes, exactly. 
Um, and like you mentioned, if it works on social, like you can definitely take some of these trends that you see working and incorporate them into, you know, things on your website or, you know, some, you know, some printed materials some direct mail um, or tr- other like print ads that you're putting out there. I think it's really important to make sure that all those, all those channels are speaking to each other, no matter, you know, who the head of the department is for each one of these channels, or if there is just one person and, you know, it's easier if it's just a single person kind of work because they know, they know everything that's going on, but really that's just not realistic. Otherwise, some, you know, the ball is going to get dropped somewhere if it's just one person. Um, so uh, something else that we like to do is provide our clients with a, you know, a lot of our clients come to us, they don't have brand, they don't have branding guidelines. They have, they have a logo, they have a couple of different lockups of their logo. They have, you know, so some of them are in a pretty good place that they have all this stuff and it's like, oh, that's awesome. Um, but they'll have zero idea on, you know, what the, what fonts are on their website or um, zero idea on, you know, the, the hex code for, for, um, you know, this blue on their, in their logo. (laughs) And sometimes they'll say like, well, why do I need to know that? Um, well, it's important for you to know that because when you're sending emails out or you're inevitably going to create, I don't know, a a sign for your bathroom or something in office, like you're going to, there's going to be things that you're going to be doing on your own that you're not going to consult an agency for because you don't want to spend the money and you don't want to, you know, just feel like, you know, I'm just going to take care of this myself. It happens all the time. Um, and it's helpful to make something look more on brand if you know what it is, like, because a lot of webs, you know, a lot of web fonts are free. A lot of them are. Yeah. If you're working with medium to very large businesses, they're more than likely using a licensed web font that you're not going to get for, which is totally fine. But for the most part, let's say like most of the businesses I work with, they're using some free Google fonts. And so you can get that for free, download your computer, and then you can create a beautiful newsletter yourself. Like you don't need a designer's help necessarily, but as long as you just know where to start and that's kind of like what we use it for so that when we go to visit them or we see that they, you know, cause we work with them on social also. So they're posting themselves. We'll see something on social. We're like, ah! <laughs> like somebody needs to recreate that because that looks really questionable. Um, we find that when we share it with them, that we, that happens a lot less often that yeah. we are going to redesign something and just kind of replace it on the fly. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Brand guidelines are so important and people don't put enough stock in them because they do take a long time to create and they yeah. are a, uh, pr- like, I don't want to say pricier, but they, they're a pricey uh, in terms of like overall adding to your package. But I think that every brand deserves and should have a good solid brand guideline that they can even outside of the agency, like it's, or for themselves, like it's great to share with partnerships. So that way people, if you're partnering, especially with nonprofits, they're hosting like events or they're working with other businesses. Uh, those businesses now know their colors and like, they're not going to use the wrong PMS file or they're not going to feel like they have to Google search their logo, uh, with transparent behind it and then grab it from the internet. So (laughs) (laughs) had to do that so many times. (laughs) But yeah, I think that those are all amazing things to bring up. And, uh, you know, I think as we're wrapping up this episode, kind of summarizing like what it is, why why should a business pay for social? Like, or why is it important for them to think about social media in their strategies? Social media um, captures a certain segment of the audience that they want, you know, to communicate to. And same thing goes for, you know, websites, billboards, and, you know, and the like. So, not being on social media means not communicating to, 
you know, potentially a really large audience for you. So I think it's a mistake just to, you know, ignore it completely if you don't have the resources. Um, and a lot of people will ignore it because they don't, you know, they just simply, they don't have the time. Um, a lot of clients we work with are, are, you know, they're small to medium size and they are either in a state of growth to where like their owners and anybody who's kind of high level are, they have their hands in everything. They have the ability to post. They just don't have the time to think about what they should be posting aside from this is happening. Here it is. This is happening. Here it is. <laughs> so yeah. taking it beyond that, I think is really the biggest thing that you can um, consult an agency for is to help with that strategy. Like there is, yes, there is more to social media than here's this is this thing is happening. Come to it, which is like you see that all the time, you know, and you know, and cat videos. But I mean, <laughs> don't take away the cat videos. Keep them there. Um, so an agency is really going to help you kind of, I think, flesh out your own ideas. We're not going to reinvent the wheel for you. We're not going to um, create viral content for you. We are going to create content that has the potential, the strongest potential to be, to go viral given what we know of your audience and given what we know about your business. And, you know, we try to help you and, you know, to put you in the strongest position that we can put you in on social media. Um, but again, that doesn't happen without their help either. So it's like, you have to have a, you have to have a little bit of buy-in, a little bit of willingness to kind of work with us um, because we're not going to do it a hundred percent for you. Um, at least not as effectively as, as it could be done if you had a hand in it. Um, so I think hiring an agency is totally worth it because we help you. Um, we just help you make things a lot better than they could be. We don't, um, you know, tell you you're doing a bad job and this is, you know, like, you know, get out of social media, let us do it. Um, you know, as much as, you know, we'd like to sometimes we don't, you know, there's just, it's not, it's not best. It's not best for the client to do that. Like they have to be really involved and, uh, and agencies kind of third party. We're not, we're not, so married to things that are happening in the business that we're not so, you know, we're not so close to, to things to where will we say like, you know, objectively, this is probably not a good idea for you guys to do, um, or, you know, for whatever reason versus like if they had internal staff and there's a meeting and they talk about things they want to do on social and half the people in the room think it's a terrible idea, but they don't want to risk their jobs or they don't want to, you know, because they know that the stakeholder really loves this thing. And if you say anything bad about this thing, he's going to go crazy. You know what I mean? Because that happens. It does. As a consultant, you kind of don't have all that pressure. I mean, some, it still happens sometimes because we just don't know. We have no idea that they love this thing so much. And we just said that, you know, we don't think it's the best thing you could do. It's like, well, why not? <laughs> um, you know, but it's, it's easier for us to kind of, you know, and they, they don't, you know, more often than not, our clients are going to come back to us, you know, in a professional conversation. So they're, they're not going to say, they're not going to be antagonistic towards us just because we, you know, disagree on something. And so um, it helps to have an objective third party to come in. So that's another good reason to hire an agency is to kind of, they can come and help you evaluate, you know, your marketing. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, I think those are all great and excellent points. And obviously this whole episode has been amazing. Uh, I really think that if any business owners or anyone that's like contemplating getting social for their business is listening to this, like we've delved into kind of why it's important, why you need it, the benefits of it, uh, a really overview look into the world of social from a business standpoint. Uh, and obviously the benefits of working with an agency, small or large. Uh, one of the obvious things, as you said, is the third party. So not only 
is it third party for objectiveness, which is so important because obviously when you're working within the same brand day over day, your ideas are going to get stale from an internal standpoint because you're not working on anything else. Uh, agencies have the, the fluid and flexibility of having different clients. So that way you guys are constantly thinking of different ideas and uh, your minds are able to just jump into creative thinking, I think way easier than people that have been working on a same, for example, the, the same brand for like five years. Because uh, obviously those ideas are just going to get stale. So bringing in agencies to kind of like help with that is so important. Uh, And then also just like the fact that you're not in it alone. Like social is a daunting thing. It is 24-7. And uh, having one person on staff is not always enough. Like internally, uh, even now, like I, I struggle to meet the demands of all of the things that I have to do in a day. Just being the only person full time on my social team. So you know, being able to have somebody else in the trenches with you that knows the best practices, that's going to stay up to date on all the things that are happening and constantly changing on social because there's updates every single day is so vital and so important to creating a good uh, brand on social in general. So thank you, Lori, so much for being on the episode. Uh, I'm really looking forward to editing this one and and re-listening re-listening back to it when it's live. So... Thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of your night. Yeah, you also. Thank you. Awesome. 